This is Dove Tuzman, and you're on equal footing. A little bit of a technical difficulty there getting started. Thanks for your patience. You know, it's great, it's great to be back in studio. Last, I think, I think four of our last five shows have been done out of studio and actually abroad. A couple in Dubai. I think three in Dubai, one in Colombia. We're going to stay on the Colombian theme here. Tonight's show is the Jewish Diaspora Colombian Edition. It's more controversial than you might think. You know, these Colum- these Jewish communities around the world, of course, we, living here in the United States, which is the largest Jewish community, I guess it's right about the same size as the community in Israel across the diaspora in the United States, certainly North America. Uh, it, it, you forget what it's like to be in the diaspora where the community is so small. I grew up in part in Colombia, and so I'm a member of the Jewish diaspora in Colombia, even though I've been in the United States you know, all of my adult life, effectively. And I remember uh, having the kind of comparative experience between being a Jewish person living in uh, Boston or New York and comparing that to what it's like to be in Colombia where you're a tiny percentage. I mean, a country of 45 million people, 
45 plus, maybe 50 million undercounted in the census. And you've got 6,000, 7,000 uh, Jews at most. Some people say 4,500. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we may have misquoted that on the program. We said about 15,000. We were talking about this controversial kind of emerging Jewish uh, converted community in uh, Bejo, uh, part of Antioquia, central province in Colombia. It's probably a, a lot smaller than the 15,000 that we referred to then. And it's like it's like being a speck in the ocean. But within that speck, on that little island of the Jewish Colombian diaspora, there is uh, there's quite a bit of story there. It's uh, and it it should be I think interesting to anybody who's in who's aware of and interested in the global diaspora and the way that's evolved over time. I hope in the future we'll do a show on uh, the Indian diaspora and other places that have these fascinating kind of elements to the story. So before we set the stage, let's further let's introduce our wonderful guests. We've got two callers on from. Colombia, one in Bogota and one in the coastal city of Barranquilla. We're joined by Marcus Peckel. Marcus was born in Bogota, Colombia, to German Jewish parents. He graduated from the Technion Institute in Haifa in Israel. He completed his master's at McGill University in Montreal. He's currently the executive director of the Confederation of Jewish Communities in Colombia. He's the com- and he's a commissioner to combat anti-Semitism on the Latin American Jewish Congress. He's a member of the Executive Committee of the World Jewish Congress for almost 10 years. Marcus is a lecturer at top universities, at the Diplomatic Academy of the Minister of Affairs, Minister of Foreign Affairs of Colombia, as well as uh, being a columnist on international affairs at leading daily newspapers in Colombia. Everybody knows him in Colombia. He's also the uh, father of uh, two children, Marcus is fluent in in, uh, in Hebrew, of course, as well as Spanish and, and English, and uh, he was recently included in the list of the 40 most influential pro-Israel leaders in Latin America, um, and he was awarded the CICLA Prize in Israel in October 2012, given to outstanding Latin American Jewish leaders. So, Marcus, it's uh, it's an honor to have you on the program. Professor Peckel, thanks for calling in. Uh, Doc, thanks very much for the invitation. Uh, I say good evening to all the listeners, to you, and well, we need to join the conversation about Colombia and our Jewish community. Yeah, I think people are going to be surprised about the Jewish community in Colombia. It doesn't get as much press as the larger communities in Latin America, Argentina, Mexico, Brazil, Chile, in that order. But the Colombian community has maybe the most interesting story, I would submit. Of course, I'm a little biased as a Colombian Jew. We're also joined by my dear friend, David Sibul. David Sibulkewitz is his whole full last name. Uh, David is a community leader and activist for Jewish rights in Colombia. He's lived in multiple Jewish communities across the country, including in Bogota, Cali, Medellin, and now in Barranquilla, where I had the uh, pleasure to, to, to dine with him about a week ago down there, or a couple weeks ago. Uh, David comes from a long family lineage, lineage of rabbis. His grandfather was the first rabbi of San Andres Island. You get a prize if you're listening and you know what San Andres is. That's a whole different, uh, interesting story. A little island that's been claimed by multiple countries, most recently, last hundred years or so, effectively controlled by Colombia, although claimed much earlier than that. Uh, his family later moved to Panama as well. Uh, David, or David, in Spanish, is an expert 
on the history of Latin American Jews in general. He runs a, several pages online with about research and documentation on that topic. And as a professional, he's one of the pioneers in the in the field of aerial photography. It's photography without getting on a plane, and this is uh, something he started pre the emergence of drones. His career in Started in early 2000, his photos have been published in various audiovisual, audiovisual media, newspapers, magazines, um, and he's in the, and in the context of as well of advertising campaigns and in galleries. He currently is on exhibition at the Customs Gallery of Barranquilla, Colombia. So, David, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for joining. I hope we've got him. He may be on mute. David, you there? All right. Well, we'll we'll, we'll see. I think I see him on the board. So, we'll. Yes, I'm here. There you go. Hi. So Hi. let's let's start out with uh let's divide this this study of the diaspora, Jewish diaspora in Colombia into two parts. Let's talk about pre nineteen thirty three, which is of course when you have the real rise of Nazism in Germany and it changes the diaspora dynamics around the world. Uh, and then post nineteen thirty three. So on the pre side one of the things we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, and guys, I know you're calling it internationally, so if you're not if you're not speaking, do remember to put it on mute if you don't mind. So, one of the things we spoke about a, a couple of weeks ago is the genetics in Colombia, and and this this is something. Tune in if you're if you're if you're kind of casually maybe interested in this program. What, what do you what do you really care about the Colombian Jewish diaspora? Lean in on this one because this is fascinating. There have been a number of studies by evolutionary biologists, scientists at a number of leading universities, from University of North Carolina, University of Chicago, universities in the UK, a number of universities in Colombia, and there's a consensus that outside of Israel, listen to this, outside of Israel, the province of Antioquia, Colombia, and a couple of other provinces, but primarily the center of the country is up in the mountains, an area that was relatively inaccessible uh, for centuries and where you had, um, it was hard to populate and there weren't a lot of indigenous local communities prior to the Spanish, uh, colonial arrival. These areas were, po- were, were originally populated by these converso families. These were Jews that were expelled, uh, from Spain or were required to convert to Catholicism and were, um, living in hiding and that, uh, then would flee and sometimes practice their their religion secretly. Um, there would be uh, certain Jewish rites of, you know, uh, lighting candles on, sh- on Shabbat uh, or certain things around uh, head coverings or a modest dress and, and certain even prayers that were carried on for generations while these families were being raised as secular Christians because they were hiding in the Inquisition. And uh, genetically, of course, we can we can now measure over the last 30, 40 years, it's, it's been easy to measure for Jewish genetic material is ultimately we're, we're, we're part of a, of a global tribe, if you will, genetically. And as it turns out, as I was alluding to earlier, the, the Jewish genetic, uh, makeup, uh, or the incidence, I should say, I should say, of genetic, of Jewish genetic material in parts of Colombia is the second highest in the world outside of Israel. So we talked about this a couple weeks ago, for example, in the province, province of Antioquia, as it's, as many as 70% of men in the entire province of Antioquia, which is one of the probably the second or third most populated state, if you will, in Colombia, have um, some material, some uh, significant incidents of Jewish genetic material. So you clearly had all these folks that were 
emigrating to Colombia right after the Inquisition that were, in fact, um, Jewish or had significant uh, Jewish blood. Uh, so, first of all, and, and I hope we get both of you guys back on the line. Um, David, do, do, is it therefore fair to say that that kind of the original wave of population of what was then called New Granada, this part of the Jew, of the uh, Spanish Empire in, in northern Latin America where modern-day Colombia is, was in a certain sense genetically kind of a Jewish state? Or am I overstepping? I would I would think that in the beginning, when the people started coming to Colombia, uh, starting with the uh, discovery of America, rediscovery actually, some of those uh, sailors and families uh, that came uh, to America were uh, fleeing the Inquisition in uh, Europe and uh, per- Portugal and, and Spain. So I would believe that the first the first wave were these uh, Maranos. Uh, because uh, they came in hiding their Jewishness. Uh, some didn't, I guess. Uh, but I would say that, yes, those, that was the first wave. I don't think they came with the Vikings. <laughs> and, and Marcus, when you look at this from a historical perspective, um, there are a couple of early waves that David's referring to. They're the original settlers that are fleeing the Spanish Inquisition. And then there's a later wave in the 18th and 19th century of Spanish and Portuguese Jews coming from like Jamaica and Curaçao. This first wave, how relevant is it? I mean, in, in, until when was the Inquisition focused on these secret Jews? Marcus, are you there? I'm here. Uh, okay, I will answer to you the following. Uh, there was Inquisition in Cartagena, means there were Christians practicing Judaism in secret, otherwise there would not be Inquisition here. Inquisition ended up around the late 17th century which is not the same as the Jews that came from Curaçao, which were plenty of them, came at a later stage. The first Jews, and the ones that you mentioned with relation to Antioquia, which have been the source of a very deep studies by a few Colombian authors and academicians, they came during the conquest, as we know, many of the, say, of the people that accompany Colon, Colon and all the others were Jews or were new Christians, uh, as they were known at that time, because the discovery of America coincided with the expulsion of the Jews from Spain and Portugal. And especially the, the same year that the Jews were expelled from Spain by the uh, Alhambra decree of uh, March uh, 1492, a few months later, Colone set sail to the Americas. Many were Jews. And the first areas where they came after the Caribbean was Antioquia. They came through the river, the river Magdalena, and they set up in Antioquia. And that's why Antioquia, as you said, may have a, a large incidence of people of Jewish origin. And there's a few signs that show that. One of the main cities in Antioquia is called Jericho, or Jericho which we know is a, is a biblical city, but also a few of the expressions that the uh, uh, people from Antioquia use 
that expressions that come from uh, Judaism, and they translated into Spanish. Uh, so, uh, but from those uh, Jewish emigration, uh, which they were not Jews, they were uh, the new Christians. Uh, not much was left as far as Jewish is concerned. Most of them eventually became Christians, uh, abandoned all the Jewish traditions, and uh, there was no legacy of them today other than the genetic studies that you mentioned at the beginning. Yeah, it's fascinating that a lot of these communities are actually re-emerging because what's happening, we talked about this a couple of weeks in the show, a couple of weeks ago on the show, is it that folks are doing 23andMe and Ancestry.com and so forth, these, these uh, studies, you know, that you can, with your saliva, you can send it in and they'll give you your rough genetic makeup. And people are discovering that they are, uh, you know, they have a significant you know, percentage of Jewish blood and are kind of going back to the roots. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's fascinating. There's like tens of thousands of these uh, uh, people in Colombia alone that are kind of trying to rediscover their Jewish roots, some of whom we talked to a rabbi a couple of weeks ago have actually converted through Orthodox conversion processes to, to Judaism. We'll, we'll get to that in the second half of the program, but the, the genetic makeup is fascinating. And, and the reason we pick Colombia, obviously I have a personal interest being Colombian, but um, for the show is that this type of dynamic doesn't exist to the same degree anywhere else in Latin America. Uh, when these genetic studies have been done comparatively across regions, in fact, that today have many more uh, Jews on a percentage uh, population basis as, 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 identif- as self-identified, places like Argentina, Mexico, Brazil, but they didn't have the same dynamic that Marcus just described, where you had a relatively small number of families coming in that are Jewish blood settling in a relatively remote area, and therefore centuries later you have significant Jewish genetic material across large populations. Colombia is an exception in that regard, and as I said, it is. This is not just me saying so. There are a number of studies from like a number of leading universities in the U.S., Europe, and South America showing that the incidence of genetic material, Jewish genetic material, in these parts of Colombia is the highest of anywhere in the world except for Israel. So we'll come back after the break uh, talking to Marcus Speckel and De- David Sibul calling in from Colombia talking about the Colombian Jewish diaspora and we'll get into the 18th century right after the break. <laughs> Beautiful Ladino, a unfortunately somewhat dead language now. We'll talk about how that fits into our story after the break. But first, let's talk about one of our sponsors here on Equal Footing, a loyal sponsor for a long time, and that's DocuVax. DocuVax is a medical record system. You can download the app on your smartphone, your Apple or your Android at D-O-C-U-V-A-X, DocuVax. And it allows you to download all of your medical information, immunization records, serology or uh, blood test results, other lab results, MRIs, x-rays, even allergy information, blood type. It allows those that information to all be in one secure HIPAA-compliant place and also to be reviewed by doctors so you can understand your results, so you can get a recommendation to a specialist at a either a, a 
dramatically lower cost or free relative to what it would cost you to go to a general practitioner. And these medical professionals, if you're a DocuVac subscriber, are available for you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. They can validate your vaccine records, explain your blood test results, or review anything else in your medical locker for you. And it's incredibly affordable. It's $6.99 per month. That gives you the basic DocuVax subscription. You can keep track of your COVID, flu, and tetanus vaccines, your colorectal and breast cancer screenings, blood type allergies, when you need to go get tests, etc. Sign up for DocuVax. Take control of your medical records. Your medical data does not belong to your doctor. They use it, but it doesn't belong to them. It certainly doesn't belong to your insurance company. It definitely does not belong to the government. So take control of your medical file. Sign up at either docuvax.com, that's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com, or download the DocuVax app on your smartphone, either Apple or Android app stores. And if you want to get a group discount for DocuVax for your employees, if you're a small business owner, you can do so by calling 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933 to get group discounts. Give DocuVax as a benefit to your employee, employer, excuse me, your employees, just as you would, for example, a gym membership or anything else. That's 833-859-1933 for group discounts or sign up at DocuVax.com. Operators are standing by. I've been Back on equal footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. You know, I'm, I'm back in the studio. I'm getting used to the, the sensitivity of the mic. I've been like shouting in, like Marcus and David are our guests tonight, calling you from Columbia, where you have to be worried about whether you're being heard. So nice to be back in studio, David. Before the break, we, ta- I, I, we were talking about the uh, – well, actually, right there as we went into the outro music, I mentioned it. That was a Ladino song. A lot, some of our listeners may not know what Ladino is. What is Ladino? Hello? Yep, we can hear you. What, what, explain to our listeners what Ladino is, David. Well, I am not well versed in it, but Ladino is like a, a mix of uh, like – Hebrew words with uh, Spanish, something similar. Uh, I can't explain it too good. I don't know if Marco has better better understanding of of, of the word of, of the uh, of the language uh, per se. Yeah, it's actually, like, one, uh, of, one of the you're absolutely right. It's a mixture a mixture of, of Hebrew and Spanish, and uh, one of the last places in the world that Ladino. Uh, was uh, spoken, was actually in certain pockets in Colombia. Even my grandmother, my father's mother, knew some Ladino words. Marcus, is, have you studied the use of Ladino in the in the Colombian Jewish community historically? Listen, I can tell you that Ladino is a language that is all Spanish mixed with Hebrew words. Uh, opposite to what people may think, Ladino wasn't born in Spain. Ladino was born after the Jews were expelled from Spain in mostly Thessaloniki and Izmirna in the Ottoman Empire that opened the gates to the Jews arriving. The Jews expelled from Spain after they had been living there about 1,700 years. 1,700 years. They always uh, 
thought about Spain. They never forgot Spain. They were always writing poems about and songs about Spain, and that's how Ladino was born. As far as Ladino in Colombia, I'm not aware of many people who are speaking Ladino as opposed to Yiddish, which was widely spoken by the Jews that came later. But Ladino might have been spoken, uh, given that uh, Jews from the Ottoman Empire started to come here to Colombia late uh, after the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century, those Jews were not uh, speaking a lot of Ladino. They have a bit some instances. They might have been some instances in which people spoke it. But one thing is sure, the songs, the Ladino songs, are very beautiful. And we sing them here. We, I'm not a Sephardic Jew, but I love Ladino songs and I sing some, some songs. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll have another one of those uh, on the program before before we end. Well, this actually brings us to a group, the second wave of migration. And you guys have pointed out that that first wave that were conversos or new Christians, those who had been forced into Catholicism uh, during the Spanish Inquisition, those traditions pretty much died out. I mean, they're now being revived because people are, like I said, um, rediscovering their genetic makeup and then making an effort to go to Israel in many cases and, and learn about, you know, what their blood tells them about who they are from a spiritual and religious identity perspective. But in practical thinking, um, much of that Jewish tradition really did die out, um, in Colombia. Now in the, in the 18th and 19th centuries though, we get a new wave of migration, right, Marcus? We have now we have these Antillean Sephardim, Sephardim from uh, you know Spanish and Portuguese immigration from Jamaica and Curacao, and so forth. And I'm going to list some last names here that were originally um, Jewish last names, and I think this is going to be probably surprising to some listeners that might be here in Crown Heights or Borough Park or Miami or maybe not Miami as much, but L.A. or whatever. Listen to some of these names: Ramirez, Perez, Arias. Salazar, de Lima, Arias. Pretty Latin names, right? You, you, you might, you know, know someone uh, living in your neighborhood who's, who's got one of these last names and you would, and they'd be the last person you think of that were Jewish. Well, these are originally Jewish last names. Uh, obviously integrated over time. What, what happens, Marcus, to that community of Spanish and Portuguese Jews now at this point that are openly practicing their religion? Um, in 1810. Well, actually, some of the oh, last ahead. names that you mentioned, the, the few are left out and were important in Colombian history. For example, Cortizos. But those um, immigrants that came from Jamaica and Curacao also, they melded into Colombian society and they did not uh, found the Jewish communities, and they most of them, I would say almost all of them, did not keep the Jewish uh, tradition uh, when they after they arrived in Colombia. So uh, there's no uh, uh, Jewish community that were founded by those that emigrated from Curacao. Uh, remember that Curacao was a Dutch island. Uh, many of the Jews from Curacao were Portuguese Jews that were first went to Amsterdam, and there their descendants, when Amsterdam came to Curaçao, from Curaçao they went to Suriname, which was one of the first Jewish communities in the Americas, actually, uh, for one of the first synagogues, it's still standing as a museum, was in Suriname, which used to be uh, Dutch uh, Guyana, so it's an independent country. And so the Jews that came from Curaçao, a few came from Jamaica too, 
they uh, like uh, melded into melted into Colombian society, and they did not leave a, a huge Jewish legacy except a few that we know were Jews that were important. Some even are uh, buried in Jewish cemeteries, but they were not uh, keeping Jewish tradition during their lives. Yeah, there were a couple of. I mean, for example. Uh, uh, James Martin Eder, who changes his name to Santiago uh, Eder, was, um, you know, a the famous Colombian industrialist who was Jewish. Uh, the author Jorge Isaacs uh, was was also. But you're right, they they integrate, and 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 this brings us. Well, first of all, before we go off the Inquisition, I just want to mention if anybody, I was in Cartagena a couple of weeks ago, and if anybody has been. Uh, in Cartagena, they've probably gone to the, that's a coastal kind of, uh, old city from the beginning of the 16th century. It started in the beautiful 17th century forts and walls. It's around it. Highly, uh, recommend going. There's the Palace of the Inquisition. And the Palace of the Inquisition was the head of the Inquisition in, nor- at least northern Latin America for a time of all of Latin America under the Spanish Empire. And Marcus, in one of our pregame shows, I love the way you, I mean, it's a difficult subject. Maybe I shouldn't say I love the way. I thought it was very interesting the way you said it, that if that Inquisition building was still active, that meant there were Jews. Because what they were doing is trying to root out people secretly practicing Jewish practice. And in one of the, um, one of the articles that I read in background research for the show, I learned that uh, as many as 800 uh, practicing or suspected uh, Jews were burned alive in the inner courtyard of that building alone. And that building, I think, ends up being still in use as as, as late as the mid 17th century, if I'm not if I'm not uh, mistaken. Uh, actually, I don't think there were any Jews uh, taken to to the to the stake in Cartagena. The the three Inquisition tribunals in the America. One was Tribunal de Inquisición de Lima. The other was the Tribunal de Inquisición de la Nueva España, which is in Mexico. And the third was in Cartagena. In Cartagena, there were a few Jews taken there. They were tortured, but mm, there was no auto de fe made in, 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 in Cartagena for some reason. And some may have been taken to Lima, where we know for sure that there were some Jews uh, taken to the stake in Lima. But that all ended around the uh, end of the 17th century where the Inquisition in America, uh, uh, the, the tribunals were closed down and there were no more Inquisition in America. Gotcha. David, did you want to say something before our next break? Uh, sure. Uh, going back to the, to the uh, wave that came from, from the Caribbean, uh, some of the Jews that came from Jamaica and Haiti um, ended up in St. Andres and Providence. There was a uh, last name Abrams, who is still going on. They are no longer Jews, but I still keep in touch with them. And uh, the elder Abram was a good friend of my father while, we were, while he was living in the island. There was also um, there were also uh, Rubinstein that came much, much later, but came by way of Jamaica also. Uh, German guy. Uh, he was an uncle to the uh, Elena Rubinstein uh, woman. She used to come to the island in the uh, late uh, 50s and uh, 40, something like that, uh, to, to St. Andrews. <laughs> and from Curacao, there were some Jews that uh, migrated to Panama, many of them, and some of them went into politics, and a couple of them 
uh, were, uh, became presidents of Panama. One was Max del Valle, Levi Maduro, who, who was there uh, uh, in 67, and he didn't last long. And then his uh, nephew, who was Eric Arturo del Valle, uh, came in, in uh, somewhere in 87 or 88, he became uh, president, or before that, uh, maybe 85 to 88, yes. I was at school at the time. Interesting. So you know, it's a little they have been remember, remember, David, that uh, Panama was part of Colombia at the time. Are you right? <laughs> and 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 for listeners edification, yes. the island that da- that David Sibul uh, is talking about, San Andres, actually has a smaller sister island called Providencia or Providence uh, in, in in English. Those are those are two islands that kind of, as I said earlier, kind of ping pong between uh, English and, and and Spanish colonial control, and then ultimately um, were kind of disputed between Nicaragua and and Colombia. Um, as a little historical footnote, the Mayflower, which American listeners will know as is the the first or the second uh, boat, as it were, the of pilgrims that came out over uh, from England to uh, to New England in the early 17th century. Um, say it again. Suplimus. Right. They, 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 well, there was another. There was a there was a uh, a sister boat called the Sea Flower um, that uh, left, I think, in in 1629. Is that correct, David? That ended up land that, that went to Providence. That went to Providencia which is now part of modern-day Colombia. And uh, as Marcus said at the beginning of the program, there were Jewish sailors. Um, some believe there were Jewish families explicitly, certainly, almost certainly there were Converso families on that on that boat, but there may have been also um, practicing Jews on that boat. And that is a little bit of a historical footnote. All right, participate in yep. this conversation on the Jewish diaspora in Colombia. Ask away. You've got the two best experts talking to you about it. Marcus Speckel, who's a professor and is a uh, leader in the Jewish community uh, in in Colombia, and uh, David Sibul, uh, who's also a historian of the Latin American Jewish community, particularly the Colombian Jewish community, calling in from Bogota and Barranquilla, respectfully. You can participate by dialing 718-303-9090, 718-303-9090, or text a question or comment to 917-428-4062. You can also send that by WhatsApp if you want, 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been calling, but I'm keeping on 
you're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm joined by Marcus Speckle, who is a community leader and respected professor based in Bogota, Colombia. Uh, David Sibulkewicz, who, who also goes by David Sibul, make it easier for folks, who is a, also a community leader and a acclaimed uh, photographer and a personal friend, both members of the Jewish community in Colombia. This is the Jewish Diaspora Colombian Edition. So we've got uh, a caller waiting. Before we get to the caller, uh, we've talked about that first wave of conver- new Christians, conversos marranos, secret Christians that were forced uh, out of their Jewish uh, faith, if not identity, uh, in the Inquisition. And, and that largely become um, integrated into Colombian society, although their blood runs through Colombian society very broadly. Then you have this next wave after Judaism is made uh, legal in 1810 with the independence of Colombia from Spain, uh, of Spanish and Portuguese. Uh, Sephardic immigrants also become somewhat assimilated. Now, we're into the 1920s and 1930s. Nazism is on the rise. Marcus, what's going on at this point in the early 20th century as it pertains to Jews in Colombia? Well, those were the years of the large emigration. Remember, Jews from the Palo Settlement, that area which contains today uh, Poland, Belarusia, Ukraine, uh, Lithuania. Uh, these were the huge migration from that area that in around 1880 contained about 60% of the Jewish people. The huge migrations to the United States, to Canada, to Argentina, and in the 1920s and 30s, there was the big migration of Jews to Colombia, also in the 1940s. Jews came to Colombia mainly at those days from Europe, just fleeing poverty, fleeing uncertainty, and later fleeing Nazism. Jews came to Colombia mostly from Romania, Poland, and Germany. And the first organized Jewish community which uh, exists still today was Barranquilla's David community was founded in 1928, Ashkenazi Jews, 1928. In 1929, the Ashkenazi community of Bogota, the which to which I belong, was founded in 1929 and is by large the largest community, Jewish community in Colombia. And uh, a few years later, I'm talking about the 1940s, 1950s, uh, but also late 1930s maybe, Sephardic Jews started coming from mostly Aleppo, Syria. A few others came from Turkey, uh, from Egypt, but uh, about 85 to 90 percent of Sephardic Jews in Colombia come from Aleppo, uh, uh, which used to be part of the Ottoman Empire and then part of uh, the Republic of Syria. And these uh, immigrants are the ones that uh, built the communities in which we live now. They started uh, building synagogues, mikves, cemeteries, schools, and we very, very thankful to our first generation of immigrants. I myself, born in Colombia, I'm first generation born here. My parents came from Germany. Yeah, and, and and let's let's talk though for a moment about 1939 to 1945 because Colombia 
there's a bit of a of a of a shtick or as a narrative I think for many of us as Colombian Jews that Colombia has been a welcoming place anti-semitism has been uh, is is uh, barely evident you can see there's an explosion in people we talked about this a couple of weeks ago of non-Jews taking on you know wanting to do Jewish practices and rituals so it's in a certain sense as Colombian Jews we often believe it's a very friendly place but between 1939 and 1945 was a dark period of course for Jewry globally but also Colombia Colombia was um kind of like some other Latin American states at the time had um autocratic rule and autocratic rule that leaned towards fascism uh, Colombia uh, had a lot of anti-immigrant and anti-Jewish sentiment at the time, and J- Jewish migration into Colombia was halted uh, during those years. Um, David, am I touching a nerve here? Is this is this now something accepted, or because I, I, this was something that I didn't know as a as a child and as an adolescent um, in Colombia? It's something I, I only learned as an adult. Is this something we we've, we've kind of put under the rug, or, or am I exaggerating it? I, I missed the point. Can, can you say it quickly? Well, during World War II, Colombia halted, un, unlike a lot of countries around it, and unlike uh, you know United States and Canada and North American countries, rejected Jewish immigrants that were trying to flee Nazism. They were they were they rejected, and and the Colombian government at the time, uh, you know, was was friendly to fascism. And I didn't I didn't that wasn't something yes. I, I I really learned until I was an adult. Is that is that is that something we need to acknowledge as a Jewish community in Colombia? It did happen. Uh, there was a president at the time, uh, last name Santos, who was, I think, uh, he was an uncle for, from, for, for the last, for the past president, uh, four years ago, something like that, um, who didn't want the uh, Jews to come into, uh, into Colombia. His name was Eduardo Santos. And, um, he restricted the the entrance of, of Jews into Colombia, uh, he was probably a bit, or I don't know, Marco may may correct me. He was uh, anti-Semite, and uh, there was uh, you know false stories or badly believed stories about how the Jews were uh, dominating the uh, commerce and damaging the local. Uh, commerce industry because they came here and they uh, lent money and they uh, sold uh, their their goods uh, on on how do you say it and borrow money I don't know how to say it. they like yeah, take these, it now and pay later tropes of, about about Jewish uh, um, commercial activity I think as as Colombian Jews or as students um, from who are given kind of a favorable account. We're told about President Laureano Gomez, who comes later in, I think, 1950, who was kind of a friend to Jewish immigrants and so forth. But there is this dark period before. Is there not, Marcus, where where Jewish immigration to Colombia is actually stopped? Yeah, I will clarify things. Uh, the order to stop Jewish immigration to Colombia came from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Luis Lopez de Mesa. I myself have seen the letters... Right, original letters that the Art National Archive sent from the Minister of Foreign Affairs to the Embassy of Colombia in Poland, uh, telling the ambassador not to let Jews into the country. 
there was no specific reason. There was no, you were not competing with anybody. And the president, Eduardo Santos, came from the Liberal Party. Colombia never had a dictatorship or autocracy, so it was not uh, eventually Colombia... Uh, uh, the clear were on German, on Germany too, and uh, actually some Germans were uh, rounded up here in Colombia and taken to some uh, places uh, for for a few months. Uh, but Luis Lopez de Mesa was really a person that hated Jews. He didn't want any Jews to come to Colombia, and it, his legacy lasted, of course, during the worst year that Jews were really trying to flee. Right. It was from 1938. To, he was Minister of Foreign Affairs until 1941, 1942, and in those years it was very difficult for for Jews to get visas to come into Colombia. But Jewish uh, contribution to the country was acknowledged by one of the main politicians at that time uh, from a very important political party, Alberto Lleras Camargo, who was president later in Colombia, was the first Secretary General of the Organization of American States, which he really thought that the Jews were really contributing to renewing the Colombian economy uh, with regards to commerce, to with regards to to how Jews were selling things house to house. But you're right, there was a dark period in Colombian history during the years of Luis López de Mesa as Minister of Foreign Affairs. Yeah, it's important to acknowledge that, even though, as we've talked about before in the show, you have this Sephardic boom of migration after the after the creation of Israel and a lot of the Arab nations in North Africa and the Middle East uh, kick out their uh, Arab uh, either Arab Jewish population or however you want to you want to look at the Jewish population living in those countries. We've talked about that in the show before. A lot of them do end up uh, in not in absolute numbers, but in relative numbers, end up in Colombia in the 50s and 60s. And you have a very vibrant community, both Ashkenaz and Sephardic, in Colombia in the you know the 50s through the through the 70s, and we'll get back to that kind of post-70s period after after the next break. We're here with Marcos Speckle and David Sibul. This is Jewish Diaspora, Colombian edition. We've got a caller who's been patient. We'll take you right after the break, and if you have questions or comments you want to send by text uh, or WhatsApp, send them to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. We'll be right at right back after the break. <laughs> All right, as a Colombian, I love that song. Equal Footing is brought to you in part. No good segue for this ad, but it's an important message. So listen up. Manhattan Medical has been a good sponsor of Equal Footing over time, and Manhattan Medical is not afraid of addressing something that's very difficult, not only for men, but for all sorts of uh, couples that are dealing with the emotional, pa- emotionally painful dynamic of erectile dysfunction. Uh, this can prevent you from having enjoyable sex. It can affect deeply the emotional health in a, in a couple. Manhattan Medical utilizes an effective new treatment therapy for erectile dysfunction, called Gainswave, and Gainswave therapy does not involve any expensive blue pills. A lot of people can't take those pills because of side effects or comorbidities, and Gainswave is non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It's painless. So check out Manhattan Medical's Gainswave therapy for erectile dysfunction by calling 
EDQR9. That's 888-EDQR9. In numbers, 888-332-8739, 888-332-8739. Manhattan Medical's Gainsway Therapy can help you. For almost all patients, it achieves wonderful results when it comes to erectile dysfunction. It can even work for you if you're in your 80s. Call now, and if you mention equal footing, when you call Manhattan Medical, by the way, you can call Manhattan Medical from anywhere in the United States. You can do a telehealth consult. You don't have to be in person. You don't, certainly don't have to be in the New York area. If you mention you heard about it on equal footing, you get a free consultation. That's a $250 value. So call Manhattan Medical about their Gainswave therapy for erectile dysfunction, 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm on with Marcus Speckel and David Sibul calling in from Colombia. We're talking about the complex history of the Jewish diaspora in Colombia. And let's take a caller on line two. Line two, you're on the air. Good evening. How are you, Dove? Hey, Stan. How are you? Glad to get you back good. to the States, huh? Yeah, I hope you had a good Pesach. It, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Gentlemen, as you know, I hope that I got on this. Okay. As you know, what is going on now at the American border, massive immigration and illegal immigration from many of the countries of South America, Venezuela, Mexico, Colombia. I'd like to know your opinion. How many of those do you think, if there are, are Jews leaving Colombia? So, question, let's, Marcus, let's go to you on that. Are you talking, first of all, uh, Stan, are you talking about legal migration or illegal? Illegal. It's all illegal at the moment. I mean, they're already right. trying to get in, okay. so right now it's illegal. Okay. How many of those do they think are uh, Jews leaving from Colombia, if there are any mass leaving from Colombia? They're from other countries in South America. What's the Colombian situation? How many are leaving Colombia? If not, I'm look, of course, the show's about Jews, but maybe they have a perspective on it. Yeah, what do you, what do you think, Marcus? No, I don't think that, uh, that, that is happening. There's no Colombians uh, with the mass migration. I think mass migrations uh, come from Central America. They're trying to get in the United States, and they might have good reason to get to the United States. And there are no Jews uh, and no Colombians in the border of the United States trying to get in. And, uh, well... Uh, certainly, uh, Central America has uh, suffering a lot of poverty, a lot of violence, a lot of drug trafficking, and that's why people are leaving. Yeah, there's uh, a couple a couple things. They make maybe, it to the state or not, I don't know, yeah. but certainly there are no Jews there. Stan, I always appreciate your questions, and uh, a couple things that I think merit mentioning. Number one is that, um, as, as Marcus points out, that the Colombians are not actually part, in the past perhaps, the 1960s, for example, even into the 70s, the Civil War in Colombia began. But in recent decades, uh, Colombians have not been part of mass migration to the United States. Um, the economy has done quite well overall. Uh, it's actually, I think, been the only economy post-World War II in, in Latin America that hasn't had a negative growth year. Maybe it had one negative growth year. You've had, um, and also for Colombians, it's relatively easy to get U.S. tourist visas relative to other countries. Um, and, and on the, on the Jewish front, 
Um, Colombian Jews, uh, for the most part, have even an easier time traveling legally. Uh, they can often, um, get, first of all, uh, tend to have uh, higher uh, socioeconomic index um, in, in Latin America in general and Colombia in specific, and also um, often can get Israeli citizenship as well, which it provides other immigration opportunities. Um, we got a couple of, of, of text uh, questions. One is, it refers to something, I'm going to put this to you, David, that we've, that we discussed in some of our pregames. Um, and this is, this is a, someone who's written in, who's listening, uh, from Mexico and is, uh, referring to the divide between the Ashkenaz and the Sephardic, uh, communities in Mexico City and is wondering if in Bogota, uh, I know David, you're in Barranquilla, but I'm sure you can comment in generally, in general, if in Bogota the same type of divide exists, is there any resistance to intermarriage and intermingling, et cetera, between the communities? I would say that none, none whatsoever. At this point in time, and for the past maybe 40, 50 years, that is not an issue with the Colombian Jewish community. We intermingle, we go out together, we intermarriage. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. We are so few. Uh, maybe in Mexico, uh, the community, which is very large, uh, that can happen, and it won't have a lasting effect, I would say, in uh, not finding a Jewish bride or a Jewish groom. But here, uh, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Yeah, Marcus, you would, you would, in one of our pregames, I can't recall, you had mentioned something about, like, there being uh, some famous example of a, of a marriage in the 1960s that kind of set this issue into relief. I can't remember the anecdote. I don't know if you want to share that with listeners. Yeah, in the early 60s, people came in from very different backgrounds. Remember that our community in Colombia is a new community. People arriving, as we said, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. The European Jews came from one place, and the Sephardic Jews came from Syria. So it was really, first of all, a lot of ignorance. From one another, uh, there were different backgrounds, different languages. Uh, the Jews from uh, Europe, uh, they spoke Yiddish. The Jews that came from Aleppo, they probably spoke Arabic uh, or, or French. Uh, they came from very different backgrounds, and I think at those days, human nature may have played a role in not actually mingling that much. But uh, during the years when the, the communities got established, the years passed by, everybody noticed that the other one, uh, even that it came from Syria, is also a Jew, reads the Torah, goes to synagogue, fast uh, in Yom Kippur, and eats Matzah in Pesach, then discovered that they are the same. And uh, by the early 70s, there was no longer any issue well, Marcus, between this, Sephardic and Ashkenazis here in Colombia. And certainly, yeah. as David said, there is absolutely none today. Uh, I'm a, a German Ashkenazi Jew married to a Sephardic woman that came from, uh, his, whose family came from Turkey. 
and there's no issue here. I love the way you put that around it. Listen, if you're if you're eating matzah on Pesach, if you're keeping Shabbat, if you're eating kashrut, if you're doing, then you know well, you're a Jew. It, it, it is what it is. Um, it, now this though this issue isn't quite as simple as it comes to the uh, topic we addressed a couple of weeks ago on the show, which are these quote unquote emerging Jew Jewish communities. And these, as I set out at the outset, are communities of the show, of this show are, are these communities that are in many cases rediscovering genetic Jewish uh, uh, connection and blood, and are then uh, going through the process of learning Jewish rituals and rites, and in some cases are going through Orthodox conversions. In fact, David, in Colombia, it's estimated there are around 5,000, 6,000 uh, Jews in Colombia, um, uh, let's call traditional Jews, folks that were that were born uh, Jewish. Now you have, I don't know if that's the right, I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody with the, the way I just said traditional, people that, have, that were born Jewish. There are almost an equal number of converts now. Now, some are not going through Orthodox conversions, but there are thousands that have gone through Orthodox conversions. Before we wrap up on the show, um, why why aren't those numbers included, David? I mean, do, do you or, or do you feel they should be? And are, is this the newest wave of of, uh, of of Jewish identity in Colombia? Should we add these numbers to the diaspora? That's a very controversial question. I don't know if there are five thousand converts in Colombia. I, I I wouldn't know exactly. I know. I can that correct that, David, if you allow me. Sure, sure. You, you, you probably are more involved in yeah, that. I have, a, I have a, a lot of a, a, a links with them. I know all the communities. So Marcus, Marcus, give, more give, than give today, it to us quickly, though, because more than twelve hundred. Okay. Uh, about uh, six to eight hundred of them emigrated to Israel. Israel at the beginning accepted their conversion. They they withdraw. They accept the at the 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 authorization as use, but they not those numbers that we mentioned here is about twelve hundred. These communities, which I know them very well, all of them, I interact with them all the time in my capacity as director of the established Jewish community. So those are the numbers. Uh, David, sorry I interrupted you. Okay, so Marcus, let's say no, it's, it's okay. let's say it's tw- let's say it's twelve hundred and and not five thousand because it depends on the type of conversion. It also is an issue of self identification. Let's say it's twelve hundred. Should we add those numbers? Because those numbers generally are not they're not added, for example, on the website that uh, for the confederation that you're ahead of. Hi. Uh, Marcus, well, we we don't uh, have any numbers. Uh, those uh, we don't uh, we don't. Uh, issue Jewish certificates to anybody. <laughs> we uh, have excellent relations with them. Ravelat Villegas from Bello that you mentioned yeah, you know, the during the program is a great friend of mine. I visited him in the yeshiva when he was starting to become a rabbi in Israel. I visited him, him twice. I have visited his community. And uh, uh, numbers are numbers, uh, and even uh, many of those converts don't not necessarily have genetic uh, Jewish uh, or, or Jewish genetics. Some of them just want to become Jews, and right. they have right. the right to do it. They have the right to be there, and once they convert, according to Alaha, of course they have to be added to the numbers. No doubt about it. Well, that's it's interesting how things evolve. Uh, people returning to their roots. David Sibul, Marcus Beckel, I really appreciate you being on this uh, Jewish Diaspora Colombian edition uh, version of Equal Footing. I, I hope to get you on the program again in the future. Thank you both. Thank you. You're welcome, Joe. My time.
And listeners know that if you go down to Colombia, I, I just conclude by saying I was there for Pesach and I went to a Seder in Medellin, Colombia. And there were 1,300 people at the Seder, a huge number of Israelis. Uh, it was just absolutely beautiful. So uh, go to Colombia, get a Jewish welcome. We'll see you next week. Padre